One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. At The Resident, all rooms are designed to combine pure comfort with luxurious British style and design. Whether you're escaping to London for a romantic break or visiting the city with friends and family, there's no better place to stay in the heart of the neighbourhood. Without The Resident, you might not get to London. And without The Resident, we wouldn't be here on Holyrood Sources. Holyrood Sources is brought to you in association with The Resident. The podcast starts now. This is different because we have never, on the first page and the first line of a manifesto, made it as clear as we're going to make it in the next general election. We're going to make it absolutely clear with no equivocation at all. A vote for the SNP is a vote for Scotland to become independent. And if we win that general election, we get that mandate from the people, then we, we negotiate with the UK government how to give that democratic effect. Hello and welcome to Holyrood Sources. Thanks very much for finding the podcast. Great to be with you. I'm Callum McDonald. We are recording on Wednesday the 28th of June, uh, albeit slightly later in the day than usual because I've just come back from holiday and here to attest to my wonderful tan are uh, Jeff Aberdeen, former Chief of Staff to Alex Salmond. Hello, Jeff. Good evening. And, oh yes, good evening rather than morning. And Andy McKeever's here, former Director of Communications to the Scottish Conservatives. Hello, Andy. That's just amateurish. People will be listening in the morning, Jeff. So you say good morning. It's like you've never done broadcast before. I mean, what is going on? I like good morning, everybody. I like it's, a lovely, it's a lovely I'm, Thursday I'm, morning here. It's a lovely Thursday morning. Good morning. I like to be transparent, unlike yeah. the party used to work for. Oh, 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 the punches have started early. We are uh, 30 seconds in. Uh, and nobody's remarked on my tan. Can somebody compliment my... We, I've grafted for a it's week a, in the Algarve. It's a, it's a Western Isles tan. <laughs> yes. It's what we call the Stornoway tan. It's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a holiday glow. Callum, I, you look suitably gorgeous. Thank you very much, Jeff. One. This is right. I have a story about a, I've got. I have a story about a tan Stornoway man, but it's totally unsuitable for any airwaves. <laughs> Seriously, boys, I'm no. getting my favourite tea tonight, a curry. So let's crack on. Right. Okay. <laughs> 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 And also, I don't think we want to go anywhere near Andy's story by the sound of it. Uh, right, we are, there, you may have noticed, there's a slight demob feeling about this. Andy goes on holiday tomorrow. Jeff is probably still sleep deprived. Um, and it's uh, heading towards summer recess at Holyrood as well. So um, 
I, basically, we could have just put on a movie for you today and played you a film like they do in schools and stuff. But we decided against it. We're here. We've showed up. We've got actual things to talk about. And of course, we'll be here throughout recess as well. Right. Um, I realize I've been a little bit unplugged for a week, but I've had a note from Jeff. Ask me about Brexit. Uh, Jeff, Brexit. Go. Well, <laughs> I want to challenge uh, Andy on something he said three podcasts ago in which he said he didn't <laughs> right. think Brexit was an issue at the next election. Could have warned and, me. <laughs> well, but since then, we've had a number of different kind of interventions of varying degrees of importance, but there is no doubt a theme running through them. The BBC Question Time had a special with uh, Brexiteers. And it was really marked how the audience who had supported Brexit uh, largely, not exclusively, but largely felt completely let down. A lot of them business uh, people with significant business interests. Today we've had Brewdog uh, uh, in the northeast of Scotland, but serving, of course, uh, a global um, customer base, saying that it's been tragic uh, for uh, his business. Uh, for their business in terms of their ability to export and indeed uh, attract talent. And we've had a number of different economic results uh, in the last week or so that suggest that Brexit is indeed uh, underpinning a lot of the economic difficulties. And the point that I was going to make, and I wanted to actually have a wee bit of a discussion about it, is I think this is going to be a hugely significant election issue. I thought it was interesting that Kezia Dugdale said last week that the SNP will be the only party, mainstream party, with the chance of like, well, I don't know what Lib Dems are going to do, saying, you know what, we want to re-enter the European Union. Mm. Now, I don't think Labour will get to that position. I think we all know why and we've explained that on this podcast. But I do think if I'm Keir Starmer's strategist and I've had a pretty, let's be honest with you, mediocre start to the soft campaign in terms of my policy interventions. There's been a lot of rowing back on things, oil and gas, green investment uh, plans, um, another one uh, today which escapes uh, my mind. Is there scope and should he try and address the Brexit situation with a bit of a softening and approach in terms of the relationship the UK will have with the European Union? Andy, I think the one, over to you. <laughs> I think the one today, first of all, was on rent control, wasn't it? It was on sort of housing targets rent control, and rent right. control and that yeah. sort of stuff. Uh, Andy, go for, go for it. <laughs> uh, right, OK. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I I voted Remain for exactly the reason that has become very clear since the vote in 2016, which is that although I was not a um, you know I was I'm quite a fan of the concept of the EU. I'm certainly a, a fan of the concept of the single market. I wasn't a massive fan of the practice of the EU to be honest, but I voted Remain because I thought that on balance it would be a, a costly and really completely unnecessary mistake. Um, that's not to say I don't think that countries outside the EU can be successful, because we see lots of examples of countries, like Norway, for instance, which is the best example from a Scottish point of view, of countries outside the EU which can be perfectly successful. So I was never fatalistic about it in the way that some of the Remain campaigners were. And side note, by the way, that's part of the reason why I don't think this is going to come to anything, because 
when you get told by the Remain leadership that if you vote uh, to leave the EU, the very next morning you're going to walk down the stairs and find there's no laces in your shoes and no coffee in your pot, and then suddenly you find out that there still is, you immediately have, you know, they immediately discredit themselves mm. through that. That's that's a slight aside. Um, so uh, it's Brexit, everything I thought it was going to be, it has been unnecessary. It was a Tory uh, civil war, which was effectively played out in the country as a whole. Um, it has been costly. I think it's pretty difficult, even for the most fervent supporter of Brexit, to say, hasn't this been wildly successful? It clearly hasn't been. Um, and uh, I wish we hadn't done it. Um, but that is very different to thinking that it will remain a big issue. Uh, and there are a couple of reasons why I don't think it, why I still um, don't think, despite Jeff's challenge, the sort of podcast equivalent of a square go there that we had at the start of the podcast, <laughs> um, why I still don't think it's going to be that big an issue. So the first thing is, in Scotland, um, and I think polling has proved this pretty conclusively now, um, people place more importance in the UK constitutional issue than they do in the European constitutional issue. So if you are a Remain voter and a no voter, you prioritise your no voting. In other words, if you're, let's say, a Lib Dem who wants to stay in the UK and wants to be in the EU, you will choose to stay in a UK outside of the EU rather than switch your vote to an independent Scotland inside the EU. The UK constitution is more important to them than the European constitution is. Similarly, those people who are yes voters to Scottish independence, but also leave voters, of which there are not as many as the other side, but there are still quite a few, they will choose to go with an independent Scotland inside the EU before they will with a, 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 with a, a UK outside the EU. So... I don't think in Scotland it is anything like the issue that a lot of people, particularly in the SNP, think it is. And I think campaigning on it is a bit of a bubble issue and a bit of a fool's game. UK-wide, just to address that issue so, before so, Jeff comes so, so, back. Sorry, just well. to be clear, we, no, we, we, finally, we finally, after three minutes of you speaking, got to my <laughs> question, which was about the UK Labour Party position. But thanks for that lovely uh, filler. <laughs> There. Now, crack on and answer the, answer, answer the question. As, as if I had spoken for as long as you. Um, <laughs> uh, the UK issue is just a really simple issue of electoral mathematics. If Keir Starmer talks about going anywhere near the EU, if he talks about getting a plane to Paris to speak to Macron, he loses votes in the Red Wall. I mean, this is just basic electoral maths. He can't do it. Now, what I do accept, and I think I did mention, I'll take your word for it, that it was three podcasts ago. Um, <laughs> what I do accept is that after Starmer, if Starmer wins the election next year, um, clearly Starmer is somebody who would want to be closer to the EU. Absolutely. Um, and if he wins the election next year, and if he think, feels like things are going well and things are heading towards a, a decent majority in a second term, which I suspect they will, I would not be in any way surprised if he gravitates towards the EU through, for instance, membership of EFTA, which we discussed actually the other week in the Alex Salmon mm -hmm. podcast. I can absolutely see that. I actually happen to think that would be a pretty sensible outcome for uh, the UK because it would give access back to the single market, but it wouldn't involve being in the customs union, which would answer quite a lot of the questions on, on either side. 
But I simply do not see a situation where it will be a priority for Keir Starmer to stand up and say, all right, come on, it's time to go back into the EU. Let's have another referendum. Let's get back in. It's fantasy land. It's not going to happen. Uh, he knows it. Everybody else knows it. It's not an issue. There's bigger things. There's bigger fish to fry. And that's what he's going to do. Yeah. A very comprehensive response. And, there you go. and, um, and thank I, you, Jeffrey. That, thank you, Jeffrey. And I think, well but I think it's important to explain why, and uh, and that's more. I'm more than satisfied. I think you know the, the point is this is about the red wall, and it is mm. so disappointing and dispiriting for somebody probably like me and like yourself that felt that Brexit was entirely unnecessary, um, and the political calculations that they have to make. But I do agree with you that. Uh, Starmer on the back of a majority if he was to get one would certainly gravitate towards the EU I don't think EU membership would be on the table but I think it would be a a, a very gradual process towards a closer alignment in terms of the economic relationship well, okay nice back to back to the podcast sorry <laughs> no no not at all it's really interesting and I think that um I mean obviously we'll, we'll wait and see but I wonder as you listen to Jeffrey and Andrew discussing Brexit in a very respectful manner. I wonder if it feels like a big issue for you. Are you a business owner? Do you employ people? Have you noticed a Brexit impact? And and do you want it to be more of an issue? Or, as far as you're concerned, is that it? Is it done? Uh, email us, hello at hollywoodsources.com. We always love to hear from you, your comments or your questions or your own experiences and expertise as well. Just email us anytime, hello at hollywoodsources.com. On that very specific thing, not to reopen the very recently in the last 10 seconds closed Brexit debate, um, <laughs> there will be people in this country who will feel a massive issue from Brexit. So people who export, yeah, exactly. for instance, are obviously, you know, there's going to be people who are going to feel a huge impact and it will have been incredibly damaging for uh, a large number of people. But the truth is that the absolute vast, vast majority of people in this country, the single only difference that they will have the single only tangible difference because there are economic differences, but you can't see them so well. The single tangible difference that they will experience in their everyday lives is that they'll be in a different queue at the airport. And I'm afraid that is the sum and substance of what I suppose have. one of the things about that, though, Andy, is if, in an economic sense, if you, if you as perhaps the Labour Party start campaigning and tying Brexit to inflation issues and the cost of your mortgage going up and the cost of your food going up and all of these real life things. Actually, that's a way where Brexit can't, can't can credi- become it's an not, issue. But it's not credible. It's not credible, though. It, it, I, I think it is part of this country's economic woes, not mm. necessarily the inflation side of things, but the, the pathetic growth that we're experiencing in this country. Absolutely, Brexit is part of it. Brexit is only one of many, many things that are contributing to uh, the, and particularly yeah. the cost of living crisis. If anybody stands up and says, see the cost of living crisis, it's nothing to do with Putin, it's about Brexit. <laughs> They're going to get laughed at. It's not yeah. credible. And I wonder, the other thing about this as well, as we've seen with, with independence and the independence referendum, is that the, referen- the psychology of referendums is really fascinating because it is a snapshot moment in time decision. And the way that we have run these two very big, high-profile referendums in the last 10 years or so means that there is a lurking doubt as to whether that is the decision or, or, or when it can be revisited. And I just wonder, I remember having a discussion with somebody one day who said referendums should be, when they, when they happen, it should be written into them that this is the last time this will happen until 
whenever, we won't be able to revisit yeah. this issue for the next X number of years. You know, and that, that just, is, that, there's a lurking doubt, isn't there, about whether it's the decision. Just, just, a, wee, just a wee funny one on that. It's, really, it's very interesting, is it not? The, the, the opposition parties in Scotland, um, you know, their big refrain was, ah, but you told us it was once in a generation. And you don't see that used as often anymore because at some point somebody goes away oh, how, how long is a generation, <laughs> it's a generation. It's coming up for yeah. 10 years and it's starting to look like a generation let's stop using that as our line of defense <laughs> uh, but you're absolutely right um uh, you know canada quebec there's lots of examples of, of people returning to the issue straight away yeah. uh, the people's feelings that voted for uh, change didn't don't necessarily um, or, or indeed the status quo don't necessarily change mm. thereafter and we're seeing that manifest itself in the aftermath of both referendums up here. Do you know what? I've got such a purist view of that question, right? If a government is elected with a referendum on anything in their manifesto, there should be a referendum. Yeah. That's it. It's really simple yeah. for me. So if, if, if Labour stood on a, on, a, on a manifesto platform saying, if we win, there will be a referendum mm. on going back into the EU, and they win, then there should be one. And I don't care if it's, uh, you know, five months after the first one or five years or 50 years. It's decided upon by getting a mandate with a manifesto commitment in an election and there should be a referendum. And yes, for the SNP and, and independent supporters who are currently breaking yeah. their iPhones, yes, I think there is a mandate right now for yeah. an independence referendum because it was in the 2021 manifesto and they won. I and possibly the greatest irony being, uh, Andy, if there had been a, a second independence referendum, I argue probably probably post-2019 general election, I'm not entirely mm. convinced, you know, if, if the Westminster government called the SNP's bluff and held, held, held a referendum with a mm. bit more degree of control over things like the franchise, again, we discussed that in the Alex Salmon uh, 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 podcast, mm. whether... If yes had lost again, that really would be drawing a line under it for the foreseeable. That's actually, ironically enough, kept that alive as an issue. Um, I think I think we are going to have another referendum on our relationship with the EU in terms of the UK, and I think we're going to have another referendum on independence. The question really is when, not if. Mm. Uh, and I do think in terms of both issues... Uh, people are going to have to wait that bit longer. I think we've got another political cycle or two to go in terms of elections. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it does Hope actually so. very... We've got to make a living somehow, oh, Jeff. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. We've got to make a living, make a come on. Yeah. Can I just say as well, coming. just as we very neatly segue onto the Independence Convention, uh, just for this, for the benefit of listeners, we can all see each other as we record this podcast. And today, for some unknown reason, Andy's video is on a hilarious delay, which means that when he stopped talking, his face is still moving for a good 30 or 40 seconds after he's actually shut up. And it's really disconcerting. So, uh, <laughs> you... but, the great, but the good news is, the good news is he very rarely stops talking. So... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Do you know if we have a little if we have a little mid-season break, I want all the minutes that Jeff Aberdeen has spoken added up, and I will put money on money on that being longer than my longer than my talking. Right, De dedicated listener, if you want if you want um, you know points, kudos, and praise forevermore, you can sit and listen back. So however many blooming episodes we've done now and see, and you can do the maths for us. Uh, right, this is episode 21, by the way, so good luck with that. Right, let's go on to the Independence Convention, shall we? Um, it was last weekend in Dundee. Um, I, I don't really know what to ask, first of all, on this, actually. 
I was I was literally following it from a sun lounger in Portugal. So first of all, sorry about that. But I was quite struck by the aftermath of it, which again was felt like a bit of a messaging um, foot in mouth moment. It was called Confusing by James Mitchell, professor of public policy at Edinburgh University. He said the first minister's message was quote steeped in ambiguity and incoherence. Um, I think I'm I think I'm fairly representing what Hamza Yusuf said, which was that he would regard victory at the election as a mandate for independence and that he would seek negotiations with London on either a second referendum or moving straight to independence talks if the SNP returned a majority of Scotland's MPs. Is that, first of all, uh, Jeff, is that, am I being fair? Is that, is that what he said? And can you, can you make sense of it for us? How does that differ to the situation that the SNP is in right now and has been over the last couple of years? Well, you'll recall just before we went uh, to broadcast, I asked you to go Andy first because uh, oh, sorry, you for the reason that I, I have to be honest, I, I was left a little bit confused, and I was right. hoping that uh, Andy would be a little bit <laughs> more studious in his response. No, no, I, and I think that's the point, though, isn't it? Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, I, I don't mm. think. Uh, well, let's take a step back first mm. of all. What was the purpose of this event, first and foremost? I believe, and I've spoken to a number of people close uh, to Hamza Yusuf in the last few days, the purpose of this event actually was not to speak to the wider public, uh, ironically enough again. It was to try and unify, galvanise the parliamentary party, the MSPs and the MPs, and some of the very keenest of supporters to basically remind people we're still here, we're still fighting for the cause, and that there's still an appetite to go for this. And to that extent, I think you can say it was somewhat of a success. Uh, I do think that the party, from the people I've spoken to, left the event went, yeah, okay, there's still something worth fighting for here. However, and there's a big however here, uh, it lasted, the sheen from that lasted only a few hours Mm -hmm. as people interrogated rightly what Hamza Yusuf actually said. And I think the biggest thing for me is, um, and, I, and I, I hate to say this because I do think Hamza's been left behind the eight ball here a little bit because of the actions of Nicola Sturgeon, who I've got great respect for, but because she'd taken the issue to the Supreme Court and lost, because she'd first mooted this de facto referendum and then kind of uh, reneged on it somewhat, you know, Hamza really was in uh, a difficult position. I mean, how was we going to try and make sense of this and put forward a coherent strategy? And I think, you know, for me, the biggest test of this was a question I think asked um, uh, by uh, STV, I think. Uh, So you're telling me, First Minister, that you can lose, say, 20 seats, Mm. um, go down percentage of the vote, 10%, 10%, but still win the election in seats. And then go to Westminster and say, hey, respect yeah. the mandate of seats. Now, I think that's incredible. It, it, it lacks so much credibility. And I think it's a really difficult sell. So yes, it's probably galvanized the party uh, in terms of the fundamental core belief of uh, rejuvenating their beliefs in independence. But in terms of a strategy, I don't think it holds much water. It's going to have to be revisited pretty soon. And I'm really fascinated to see how uh, uh, Hamza takes this one 
forward because I don't think it's sustainable to take that position into the general election mm. as such. It's going to need extra meat on the bone. And, I, and I'm certain we're going to see that either over the summer recess or back into when the parliament starts. Andrew. Andy. <laughs> Sorry, that's um, I'm still in holiday mode. Go on. Well, if you said to me, here's 200 words, write down what the SNP's independent strategy is, I can't do it. I don't know, okay? Mm. And I follow this stuff pretty closely and I don't know what the answer is to the question. But that is exactly what I would advise, I would have advised Hamza Yusuf to do. Um, I think that confusion is his friend at this point because what he needs more than anything else, I'm not saying it's good, uh, incidentally, I'm not saying this is good long-term strategy, I don't think it is, okay? But um, what he's got facing him in 15 months is a general election uh, where he's already polling 8% lower than they got the last time, where he's inevitably going to bleed at least some seats and where he needs to stop that bleeding. And the one thing that will stop that bleeding is to energise the voters who he already has and the ones who he's recently lost. And the way to energise SNP voters, which ironically is also exactly the same way as Douglas Ross would energise Tory voters, is to put NDRF2 firmly on the table. So he needs to effectively say NDRF2 and independence is right around the corner, guys. We're almost there. We don't have long to go. Here's how we're going to get it done. We can do it in the next three years or whatever the time scale mentioned over the weekend was. Now, it's clearly not credible. Um, the, the, con, the, you know, the, the idea that we might have an independence referendum in the next three to five years is absolutely, you know, for the birds, right? Clearly that's not going to happen. Um, but if SNP voters think that, then they stay at home. And if they stay at home, the SNP have got big, big problems at this election. So in the ab- the only credible strategy for isn't independence... That, isn't that, aren't, we, aren't, we being rude to S- aren't we being rude to SNP voters? Sorry to interrupt. Aren't we saying that, that they're just a bit brainless in that case? Well, look, I think that um, you can... Uh, previous elections, not just SNP voters, Tory voters are the same... If you look back to previous elections, you can energise your voter base by putting certain things on the table. Um, and, yeah, they, they, they might um, allow reality to pass them by as they walk into the polling booth. And there's a long history of that in politics, right? That happens. Yeah. Um, the, the harsh reality of life, um, and a lot of SNP ministers and cabinet secretaries, if you have them in private, they'll admit this. The harsh reality of life is there is only one way to win independence, and that's to do devolution better. That's it. That's all there is. That's the roadmap. The roadmap is currently you're sitting at 48%, let's say, for the sake of argument in favour of independence. Um, Really, you want that to be 58% before you even think about having a referendum. And the single only way you're going to get to 50% is to say to the people of the country, look how good we are at running devolution. Look at this. Aren't we doing a great job? Um, Why don't you let us run independent Scotland uh, instead? Um, And they are... I think, if I'm being honest, light years away from uh, that proposition at the moment. W- one thing to finish on, instead to hear Jeff's thoughts on this, I, I was on Scotland Tonight STV on Monday night, and uh, the panel I was on followed an interview with Jamie Hepburn, who's the Independence Minister. Um, and in questioning from Colin Mackay, political editor at STV, he 
um, used the phrase there or thereabouts when Colin Mackay suggested that support would have to be 60% before they were ready to have an independence referendum. Now, that's the first time for quite a while, I think, that anybody from the SF, from the higher reaches of the SNP has contemplated the concept that they actually have maybe 10% still to go before mm. they're ready to even actually ask the question. I thought that was quite significant. I don't know about you, Jeff. Well, no, you, right, there's a few things you've raised here. Firstly, let me applaud you because you're absolutely right in your assessment in terms of why you think Hamza had to do something of the order of what he did to keep the, the, the party galvanised and the base galvanised and needs the votes to, to, to come out. But that last part of your contribution there, therein lies the confusion and the inconsistency yet again because on the one hand we're told winning seats is all that matters and that and if we win the election then we're going to be there asking for a mandate and then a couple of days later the independence minister saying aye but it's there or thereabouts we need to get to 60% well it's nowhere near 60% and we've just had the leader suggest that you only need to win seats on around about 30-35% that, that's my point this is not credible it will not hold water unless they get a consistent set of messages here that really do appeal and people can understand and articulate it on the doorstep. So I'm not a million miles from what you're saying, Andy, but it's clearly not a consistent approach. It's not a well thought out uh, approach. The final thought is this, and I'm sure I'll get lots of pro-independent supporters lambasting me for saying this. The most successful election for the SNP at Westminster, when was it? It was immediately after the referendum in 2014, in 2015, they recorded, uh, I think it was 56 out of 59 seats. And actually, it was because, okay, there was, might be a bit of buyer's remorse from post-referendum, but it was because the voters knew they could vote for SNP, knowing fine well that independence was not on the table, as Nicola Sturgeon at the time said. And it was very much standing up for Scotland. But who do you trust to really go in and there and bat for you? And I just wonder if Hamza could have used this opportunity to say, look, this is not going to be resolved at the general election next year. It was resolved last time by a majority in uh, 2011. Our focus at this general election is saying things like we are anti-Brexit, we want a better relationship with the EU, we want to improve our economy through harmonised trade with the EU, we want to fill the gap with immigration policy. I'm pulling things together we've discussed in the podcast with Alex Allen, with uh, Jack McConnell, with Gene Freeman here, talking about uh, the things that you can do in devolved governments and also the asks, the legitimate asks that you would have from Westminster, whoever is in government, and say, we're going to fight this and standing up for Scotland, getting a best deal for Scotland and the constitutional issue, we will uh, uh, fight that on the basis of the 2026 Scottish elections. I just wonder if he could have bought himself more time and the reason I say that here is because as things stand, the Labour Party are going to take a lot of seats from the SNP. A lot can happen since then, and I've not been hugely impressed, as I've said, with mm -hmm. Labour's campaigning today and the policy positions they have taken. But as things stand, they're going to lose a significant number of seats. I would contend that we are now on the cusp of the number of seats going that might lead to Hamza's premature departure. And so, could he have used the honeymoon of taking over as leader say, look, I'm setting my stall out here, I'm taking my time, but we're going to fight this general election, standing up for Scotland, as we have done at every election in recent times, and have, we have won. And these are the issues that we are going to fight on, and these are the things I'm going to ask for. Just buy himself some time to create a much more coherent uh, 
both argument for independence but also the case for independence which is so much lacking I just wonder if he's missed a trick in that I do and I know you take a lot of abuse and mm. and, and uh, uh, criticism from the wider movement uh, I'm sure you would but if you stuck to it with conviction I just wonder if he could have done that because nobody believes this None of so, no, and, th- and that's and I, I'll be interested to see the polls, Andy. Sorry, just sorry. No, no, you mentioned the polls, Andy. Will mm-hmm. there be a, an uplift in SNP support in the polls to follow following last Saturday? I'm not sure there will. Mm. Just want to think about. I think, and that that ties together actually a few things because Je- like Jeff, that approach perhaps feels more respectful of voters in some ways in that you're kind of saying, look, guys, pump the brakes a bit. We've got to sort this out. And I'm also struck actually by by a couple of things from previous podcasts. First of all, from Alex Salmond, who said, you know, with a bit of a grin on his face, that he was known for taking fights to Westminster, but he took fights to Westminster that he knew he had Scotland on his side over. You know, that he had the backing of the people, first of all. And I want to tie in what Jack McConnell told us a few episodes ago, where I think it was Tony Blair, wasn't it, advised him. Yeah. You need to go in a room by yourself. Advisors, great. Thoughts, amazing. Brilliant expertise. Feed it in. But you need to go into a room by yourself and decide for yourself what you think and what you believe and where you want to take things and then kind of work from there. And I just wonder if actually both of those things have been have been missed a bit. Andy, are you sighing? Yeah, because, you know, it's a bit depressing, I suppose, but I, I'm not sure you can... I think there's a contradiction between the need to show that you're running devolution well um, and therefore increase support for independence and independence being imminently on the table. Mm-hmm. So if we look back to 2014, we've now had, what, eight years of high-intensity independence campaigning from both sides. Which Scottish public service has improved during that eight years? None. Not one. Health service is crumbling. Education system is uh, being um, uh, effectively dumbed down, if you want to use shorthand. Uh, All the time, uh, we're watching it before our eyes. Um, Transport infrastructure is stagnating, getting worse, actually. Um, There is no... uh, And, of course, the economy uh, as well. There is no aspect of Scottish public service delivery that has been improving during this time of heightened independence campaigning. And I think it's because you can't improve these things unless you rock the boat. And nobody wants to rock the boat while independence is on the table. And I think that's the, ultimately, we may look back on this as being the great contradiction of the independence campaign, is that what we need more than anything to be able to have the space and the bandwidth uh, to really improve public services in Scotland is we need a period much like the period where Jeff and Alex Salmond were operating in 07 to 11, when independence wasn't actually on the table. And when things had to be done cooperatively with industry, with stakeholders, with other politicians to make things better, I don't think, I'm coming to the conclusion that I don't think you can do the two things at the same time. I don't think we can make Scotland significantly better while all of the agenda is dominated but, by this. But issue. Andy, are you, are, are you not making the case for what I've just said? 
So you kind of take it off the table, and I'm sure you take a hit, but actually, where majority of public opinion is would actually probably be relieved at that just now, because even a lot of independent supporters are saying we don't think independence should happen anytime, particularly in the immediate future. Use the three years that you have now. You've got a new mandate as a leader. You've got a new uh, broom, shall we say, as a leader, and say, I'm going to improve what I can improve, and I'm going to point to the areas that we need to have further devolution and I'm going to campaign on that basis at the general election and I'm going to uh, lead uh, some of these public services still dealing with the, the, the effects of COVID, cost of living crisis into a better state so I, I can prepare because you've just said it yourself, devolution is key, good devolution, good devolved governance is key to independence. In terms of where Hamza stands now, aren't you making the case for what I'm proposing? Use the three years to, to twin track, improve governance of the country and make the case for independence on the back of that I just feel that we're going into something we all know all of us know the answer this is there's not going to be independence you've said it yourself anytime particularly soon on the current trajectory so therefore let's play that ball where it lies and try and control so, the things you can do as opposed to the things that you can't control or again I got that said a bit wrong but you know what I mean I think that, I think uh, that would be nice Right, I would love if that was to happen. I think any Scot from any side of the argument would love if that was to happen. Um, but I don't think you can take... When you have a majority in the Scottish Parliament in favour of independence, um, and when you have independence support as high as it is, uh, and when the SNP are still favourites to win the next two elections, which they are, despite the downturn in polling, I don't think you can just take it off the table. It's not the same as it was during the 07 to 11 minority government of Alex Salmond. He could do what he wanted to do without fearing the consequences for the independence campaign because there wasn't an independence campaign. didn't exist. I think that in reality, and let's go back to the leadership campaign, okay? If anybody came close to the sort of messaging you're talking about, Jeff, it was Kate Forbes. Yep. who effectively said the same thing, right? She effectively said, we need to do stuff better. We need to grow the economy. We need to rewire our public services to make them better. But even Kate, when she was pressed and asked about it, said, yes, we can deliver independence within three to five years. I don't think anybody voluntarily takes this off the table. I think it has to be removed from the table by the voters first. Yeah. Well, And I think that's really sad. And I think, oh, me too. And I think, and I think, uh, and I think, you know, I, I, I'll slightly disagree with you. You know, politics is a fickle beast, and people respond to conviction. And I think there was an opportunity there. Uh, and and it's not. I, I, mean, I want to stress this. You know, it's it, it, politics is playing the ball where it lies. I always think of Tony Blair taking over from John Smith. Uh, John Smith, who incidentally, in my opinion, had been a fabulous prime minister. And he took over at a time when the country was ready for change. Hamza's taken over in a very difficult period when his predecessor has cut off a few avenues, uh, as even Alex Salmond has accepted in terms of how he can progress the constitutional argument. And I just wonder if there was an opportunity to kind of set a different course and take the general election, potentially hit that we think is going to come. Yes, mobilise your voters around standing up for Scotland, which the SNP have done particularly well at Westminster elections recently but particularly in that 2015 case and then say right i'm going after this in 2026 because that's the precedent that was set before in terms of uh, how we got to the first referendum
Anyway, let me throw let me throw something else into that as well, right? Go for it. The SNP have got sixty four MSPs. The Tories have got thirty one. Now you know the SNP side better than me, Jeff. I would say of the thirty one MSPs the Tories have got, at least twenty, at least twenty, are not there to win or to run anything. They're just there to stop in the F two. That's why they got elected. Now, how many of the sixty four SNP MSPs are there because they want to run a country? rather than being there because they want a second referendum? That's an interesting question. And honestly, I can't give you an honest answer mm. because, um, you know, I am a cycler too out of the game. What I can tell you is that when we approached 2007 election, and a lot of similar people are still there, although not as in senior positions, so John Swinney, uh, uh, Nicholas Sturgeon, Kenny McCaskill, Alec Neal, um, Richard Lockhead, some are there, some are not, but the focus was particularly on, right, we need to demonstrate that we can govern well. And if we govern well, we'll make the case for independence on the back of that. It's that simple and it's that profound. And I think it would do Hamza well to remember and reflect on that experience. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Here at Hollywood Sources, we're always enthusiastic about rigorous journalism. So, we've been tapping up our sources to find out more about The Resident, which says it has excellent rooms in exceptional locations, providing heartfelt hospitality. Well, it seems their story checks out. Bossman56 says, Just spent three days at The Resident Covent Garden. Room was excellent, so were the staff. The room and the hotel was clean and tidy. Staff were very friendly and very efficient. We'll be going back soon. And in the interest of double sourcing, because we can't just go with one, can we? How about this from Gufton? The best hotel I've stayed at in London. The customer service was unsurpassed from the moment I walked in the door. It makes us proud to be supported by the resident on Holyrood Sources. You can join the resident online at residenthotels.com. couple more things that we want to talk about on uh, this episode of the podcast as we head into recess just I think just a sort of quite one one to each of you on on um, on MPs that have announced they're standing down uh, and so today as I say we're recording on Wednesday so Stuart Holsey's become the latest to say that he is going to stand down at the uh, general election he's the fifth SNP MP to do that I noted this from Kieran Andrews of the Times in Scotland's Times Scotland political editor Stuart Holsey is an experienced MP and close to Stephen Flynn 
So a bit of a blow to the SNP Westminster leader. Uh, so that's on Hosey. Uh, Ian Blackford also going. Peter Grant also going. Angela Crawley saying they won't stand for selection. And also Douglas Chapman uh, is the other. I just, yeah, just I think just a thought on this, just because, you know, that is a few people and elections and electoral cycles happen and people come and people go. Uh, is there any sort of, anything to read into here, I suppose, Andy, first of all? Nah. <laughs> Perfect. Jeff? Nothing. <laughs> is this just people going? No. Because it's being spun as, you know, fleeing the sinking ship and all that. You know, is, is that reality? Is that what's happening? Again, again, it's context, isn't it? The context right now for the SNP is it's a challenging time. So when yeah. MPs, which they do at this stage in the in the process before an election in terms of notifying their branch, in their constituencies they decide whether they're going to do it or not. Now, a question might be, if they felt that we were on the cusp of it and mm. they felt that the next general election was going to lead yeah. to an independence referendum, would they would they be standing down? Maybe that's the way to, to, mm. to, to think about it. I, I don't know. I'd, the, all the individuals concerned um, uh, may have different reasons and, and I think you've got to take some of them at face value yeah. you know for Ian Blackford he has been you know he's, he's an elder statesman of, of the party he came into politics at a bit later life in terms of elected politics that is mm. uh, Stuart Hosey's been there 20 years goodness when I went first down to Westminster in 2005 um, he was there um, and I think Dundee's a very safe SNP seat, so I don't think that's going to change hands anyway. So I, I don't know how you can read. I think I agree with Andy. I don't think you read too much into it. But I do think that's an interesting question. If they all felt that independence was upon us, as we're led to believe or led to be told, then perhaps they would be coming to a different conclusion about their careers. I can't help but feel that Jeff gave a slightly more comprehensive answer on that question than I did. <laughs> felt like you had some, a bit more somebody some, Somebody's got to be the intellectual ballast of this podcast. You know? uh, so, do you, is there I'll you just say that I thought Jeff made some really good points there. Well, I thought Jeff made some excellent points there. Uh, and uh, I'll, consider them, I'll consider them closely before responding in due course. Brilliant. And revert accordingly. Yeah, exactly. Goodness me. Can you tell recess is about to begin? Uh, speaking of which, actually, one thing that I am um, committing to doing, in fact, probably by the time you're listening to this, I'll have done it. Uh, we're going to get in touch with every single MSP and ask them how they're spending recess. Um, I'm going to ask them to send a little voice note, probably of about 30 seconds, but you know what politicians are like. How many of them reply and respond, I don't know. But uh, over the next couple of weeks in the podcast, you'll hear some of them dropping in. Because uh, recess is an interesting time, isn't it? In terms of, they're not just on holiday for two months, they do still actually do things. So I want to find out what they're, what they're kind of all about uh, over the next couple of weeks. Uh, over the next couple of months, in fact. Uh, and one thing, just as we head into recess, that I want from both of you, actually, is just to think back over the, well, 20 episodes that we've done, 21 episodes, including this one. What stands out for you from the Hollywood Sources podcast so far? Remember all the way back to when we started, which was Leadership Contest Chaos. And here we are a few months on. Uh, who wants to go first? Andy, let's come to you. Uh, yes, I should say more than one word. Um, <laughs> I, so the, the, here's the really interesting thing that I've reflected on in these episodes. So out of the 20, I would guess we've had, what, 12 or 13 guests probably out of those Ooh, 20 yeah. podcasts good, good. and all like that. Yeah. Um, um, you've not done your research there, Cal. No, I've, I've I don't have the figures to hand. Um, you keep talking and I'll add them up. Uh, no, it's about that. So uh, the, the really fascinating thing for me 
is, uh, of course, they've all been excellent podcasts, but the ones that have been really illuminating are the ones where we've had guests who no longer have skin in the game. Mm. Yeah. Um, and that is uh, it's great because you have, you know, very accomplished senior people saying important things about how we might be able to progress the country, and that's good. But it's also quite worrying at the same time because none of them said it when they had a position of power. And that is what I find really quite worrying about it, okay? These are people who could have done many of the things that they are now saying they think need to be done. Why didn't they do it when they had a chance? And I think the answer to that question is that our politics, the way we structure our politics, the way we debate in politics, the relationship between politicians and media has stopped them from doing it when they actually had the power to do so. And there is nothing, frankly, more dispiriting than hearing a good person, a really high-quality person, come on this podcast who has been in power saying, you know, we should really do this. And you go, ah, you know, you could have done it, man. You could have done it. And that, that is not a, in any way aimed at any one individual. We've had a lot of people on this podcast who've had positions of significant power in the country. They could have changed the country um, with the views that they clearly hold, but they didn't. And I don't think it's their fault, actually. I'm not blaming them. I'm blaming all of us because I don't think we're set up to allow big people to mm. do big things. I have to say, that yeah, is a, I, I a, mean, a more profound I, thought than I was expecting. That's really, really fascinating. Sorry, Jeff. Yeah, Andy, I, th I think you've made a really, really mm. important observation there. Um, I think for me, instead of me repeating what you've just said, <laughs> uh, just a personal reflection. When you guys asked me to come on this podcast, I harboured significant doubts that anyone would really listen. And okay, I'm sure there are times when nobody is listening. Like right now, they've, they've thought, okay, there's exactly. uh, on, his, on his high horse. I'm, 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 I'm cutting this short. But um, I think the reaction that we received from both within, but most importantly, out with the bubble has been really, really uh, gratifying. And it's not because it's us. I think it's actually because there has been a bit of a vacuum in terms of discussing mm. Scottish politics. And I think we need to reflect on that as a trio in terms of how we move forward and really try and engage uh, both the, the inner um, sanctum of Scottish politics, but also the outer as well. Particular highlights, I thought the Kate Forbes yeah. interview post uh, leadership contest was fascinating. Uh, Andy, your, your, uh, Callum, your question on whether Faith had been challenged, I thought was brilliant. Um, and her response to that, you know, she was taken aback by that question. And I thought at a personal level, that was really a moment when we all went, wow, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. um, I thought Joanna Cherry in the, in the aftermath of, of the kind of being cancelled by The Stand was a really interesting podcast. Loved Ruth Davidson. Yeah. I thought, you know, uh, there's somebody that I just think if she wanted to re-enter politics, would do so very successfully. And of course, I, I couldn't let this go without uh, saying I enjoyed somewhat uh, interviewing my former boss and <laughs> regaling people with a few stories that hadn't been told out with uh, uh, the inner circle before. <laughs> Albeit, one thing I've noticed, if we think we talk a long I know. Time, Yes. Bloody hell, some of these politicians. I mean, yeah. uh, I, I, know. I mean guys, you know, uh, it's really quite 
mundane at times. You know? I think we've got a job to do on our hands to tell these guys to keep it short and sharp. I know. No, I, I politics is uh, a, a sport that seems to be less uh, interesting these days with answers that we're getting. You do sometimes feel like in the middle of these podcasts, you do sometimes feel like saying, this is not your fault show this is our show right <laughs> and, and by the way we will never get a politician on i was just again. gonna say thanks lad for detonating any chance of getting people on ever again brilliant that's exactly what we need oh, uh, i also feel like we've strayed into we've strayed into actually recording one of our off-air off podcast conversations and now it's on this blooming episode so nicely done on that one too uh, no, I think you're right. I think you're right. And we're saying this as though the podcast's going away. It's not. We're here every single week and we will be here throughout recess as well. We've got all sorts of good stuff lined up for you. Obviously, if news happens, we're here. We will be reacting to it. Uh, we've got a, ge- a potential guest list. Honestly, it's, I've got pages and pages of potential people. We've got some of your great ideas that we've still to get to as well. Um, we're just getting started, really. It's been a busy few months. There's lots more to come. Uh, and so thank you for being with us. Because I think, as Jeff says, you know, you, you start these things literally with zero listeners. And I can confirm we have more than that now, which is really wonderful, actually. Uh, so thank and you yeah, for we being started with, we, we did start with zero money, and we still have that, though. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. None of us has taken a single penny for this. So, uh, you know, goodness of our hearts and all that. <laughs> Uh, on that note, by the way, if you want to listen without ads and pay four ninety nine a month, then feel free. The option's at the top of your podcast feed. And that'll go into making the podcast even bigger and even better. Uh, so yeah, there we are. There's a there's a kind of first a first term done. We're heading into recess. But yeah, the podcast will still be here. Um, Andy, you're off on holiday. You're gallivanting, I think, now, aren't you? For a couple of weeks. I am. I am attempting to get four children onto a Orion airplane tomorrow morning. Oh my goodness. So- have you booked seats together if you like oh, them to sit somewhere else? Oh, yes. No, yeah. I was under mistake. very strict instructions from my wife <laughs> that if anything on this journey goes wrong, it will not be Michael O'Leary's fault, it will be my fault. So oh, I no. have booked everything. Can I, can, I, can I just say, Andy, uh, as much as I enjoy uh, ribbing you from time to time, uh, I have so much newfound respect for you because as much as I love my five-week-year-old baby and he's a wee darling, right? But when people go, are you going to have a second? I'm like, are you mad? (laughs) And you've had four. Uh, And I I just can't comprehend having another child. So to answer your question, uh, Callum, what am I doing for the recess? Putting on nappies, getting spewed on, and uh, and burping a young child. Brilliant. Well, I mean, it's all fun and show business, isn't it? Uh, and yeah, thank you, Jeff and Andy. Thank you. I think, you know, as you said, I think this has been such a helpful... And that's that we always said this, didn't we, from the start? Constructive. We want to have constructive conversation about Scottish politics. And often politics in general can be destructive and unhelpful. So hopefully there's a bit of something uh, in, in, in the constructive mission that we set out on and that we are still pursuing. Uh, email us anytime. The email address is hello at hollyroodsources.com. This is a great time to tell your friends about the podcast as well because we are just getting started. Uh, we'll be here every single week for you uh, throughout recess as well and for any news that happens. So until then, goodbye. Goodbye.